welcome to The Streets Are Planning. This is your host, Jay Ruffin, and it feels good to be back in the studio, people. Um, it's been a little bit, and uh, I'm so excited to have tonight's guest here. Um, I had an episode a little while back where we were talking about the art of storytelling. It was the Outcast-inspired episode, and you know, I mentioned some some things about birds and the limes and all that, and 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 my guy hit me up. It was like, yo, man, I got a story to tell you. Um, I got some things I'd love to talk about. So um, Justin Snowden is, is here with us today, um, and I'm going to allow him to introduce himself here momentarily and tell you about where he's from like we do every episode. But I, what I wanted, really wanted to do is just give us a, a shout-out to uh, those folks who have reached out and commented about the show and uh, shared their support for the things that we're talking about here. I want you to know loud and clear that I hear you, and we really appreciate the support. And what we would like to do is just, you know, again, extend that offer to folks. If you are interested in participating in the show, feel free to reach out. Uh, streetsareplanning at gmail.com. Um, and then you can also follow us at Streets Are Planning on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, on Facebook as well. We have a Facebook page. And, uh, you know, we take your comments, we take your articles, everything that you're submitting, talking about what's happening in urban communities across the country and across the world. So I just want to thank you for tuning in and listening. And uh, now we're going to get into it, man. So with, with this episode, uh, this is the Picture Me Rolling episode from Tupac's uh, 1996 album, All Eyes on Me. It is a classic album, double disc. Uh, you know, when they used to do the double disc CD joints, yeah. uh, they didn't do that many of them. But uh, Tupac came out and was like, yo, this is something that uh, I'm going to make a big deal. And man, was it a big deal. I was 16 years old when that album came out. And I, f I feel like I played it almost every single day <laughs> when, when it came out. Because Tupac was, was played a big role in culture, and he still plays a big role today. Um, and so with this episode and Picture Me Rolling, we're going to be talking about mobility, particularly smart mobility in, in urban communities and in cities. And uh, with, with obviously Detroit being the, the foundation of, of today's discussion, and what better place to do to have this kind of discussion, uh, you know, but other than the Motor City, baby. Like we here in, in the city of Detroit, and um, I think that it's important that we begin to you know, really promote the conversation around mobility, about being more about uh, more than cars, um, but other alternatives that you know can can have a, a less lesser impact on on the climate, um, and have a, a positive impact and a more affordable impact for our neighborhoods, uh, where folks might be struggling to to get to and from work and to uh, anywhere that they would like to be. So. Justin, uh, on this show, we, you know, we do something in the very beginning where you're like, hey, where are you from? So I'm going to give you the opportunity to kind of introduce yourself, tell us what you do, and, uh, and where you're from. Sure. Uh, so my name is Justin Snowden. Currently, I'm working in the Mayor's Office of Mobility Innovation. Uh, so to some of the points you brought up earlier, we're the group in the Mayor's Office that's thinking about ways to get around Detroit uh, that don't involve a single occupancy vehicle. Uh, so we do that a few different ways. Um, in some cases, we're partnering with more traditional transportation agencies within the, within the city, thinking about how they can leverage their assets in ways that support new mobility. In other instances, we're working with private companies to bring in new mobility options in ways that are, are equitable and fair and service the entire city. Uh, so a little bit on my background. I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, which was an interesting place. Um, growing up, I was constantly reminded that you know, Milwaukee was the most segregated place in the US. Uh, and that was something that I, I confronted pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. uh, but I made it through that. I'm a product of Milwaukee Public Schools, pretty salute, proudly. Salute, salute. Yeah, <laughs> salute the public school systems out there. Yep. Uh, and so from MPS, I was able to go on to the Milwaukee School of Engineering. Uh, and there I got a background, or a bachelor's in mechanical engineering, uh, sort of as a, a security measure, so that yeah. if I didn't get into law school, I could always get a job. Awesome. Um, but after engineering school, I was able to go on to the University of Wisconsin and I pursue a degree in law. I finished up there in 2009, uh, and at the time I had every intention of going on to be a patent lawyer. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, the recession didn't work out that way. Uh, so when you finish at the height of the recession, especially as, a, as an emerging attorney, uh, there aren't a whole lot of jobs out there uh, to go after. So I took a year and sort of thought about what I wanted to do next, and I'm so thankful that at the time I had the engineering degree 
uh, because I was able to go back into the field and get involved with industrial automation. So uh, my first role uh, after I was done with my education was working in industrial automation sales. Basically, I was going into factories and thinking about ways to make them automatic, uh, wow. which was a ton, a ton of fun. You learn a lot about a lot of stuff. Uh, but I got out of the, the sales role, and then I went into the lighting industry, uh, where for about three years, I was an engineer that designed light systems for tunnels around the U.S. and Canada. That now, now I got to stop you right there. Sure. That that is a a very interesting type of role. And so, what were some of the the key things within that role that kind of jumped out to you? Um, because providing lighting for tunnels, like I mean, if you're talking about like here in Detroit, there's some issues, uh, you know, with going back and forth from Canada and that tunnel. There's leaking and and all other kind of things. So, how did you um, kind of perform that role? with your background and also make the connection to some of the other systems that you had to interact with as far as from, you know, did you interact with planners? Did you interact with other engineers and, 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 and the like? Sure. Uh, so in that role, I think the most interesting aspect of it or the most interesting collaboration wasn't necessarily with electrical systems or computer systems. That was relatively easy to figure out. Um, it was the linkage between the engineering and health. Uh, and so typically when we're thinking about triggering uh, an epileptic seizure, mm. we're thinking about a static observer and a flashing light. When you're designing light systems for tunnels, you've got a moving observer and static lights, but at the way that they're, the lights are sort of going across the uh, observer's perspective, there is a very narrow band where you can trigger an epileptic seizure. Um, so this is like this no-go zone that you're constantly designing around and figuring out. Uh, and it, it's essentially a math problem. Gotcha. So once you go through that math and you think about you know ways to validate what you're doing, it becomes much more comfortable to, to proceed with the design. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And so 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 you did that for a while. You said for about three years, for and then years. for about three years, and then what did you transition into next? So I, I took that role. I stayed in the lighting industry, but I moved into light pole manufacturing. Okay. Uh, so I was a director of engineering at a light pole company here in Michigan. It's actually what moved me to the Detroit area. And in that role, I was thinking about how to use light poles as real estate for smart technologies. Uh, so we're, we're hearing a lot about IoT, the Internet of Things, um, and whether it's, it's an air sensor to measure air quality, uh, whether it is a camera, you need a place to put those fixtures. And so I was working with the company to think about how to update light poles, the things that you see on the street every day, in ways that it could accommodate these new different types of sensors. Wow, I think that's that's really that's really interesting because, and I'm probably going to say that a million and one times because this is a very <laughs> fascinating uh, concept. Because I've I've heard about you know obviously being in planning, like you hear about air rights and those types of things, but I never considered the use of poles as real estate. Yep. Um, be, but you know now that you have some of the systems where we're utilizing. Um, cameras for green light uh, for the green light program and other things like that nationally um, to, to to think about even an automated vehicle uh, type of deal Absolutely. would those poles be like factored into that and like how many poles per you know per certain uh, 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 feet amount or square square feet or whatever that you would need to be able to sustain a system like that because it wouldn't be your traditional electrical grid kind of system it would be something that would have to be wireless um, and so that's a that's that's really cool man yeah, yeah. I think light poles are probably the next great frontier um, mm -hmm. there are real estate for dedicated short-range communication yeah. so things that will drive uh, autonomous vehicles mm -hmm. um, but beyond that when you think about when you move beyond the light pole and think about the light mm -hmm. there's an opportunity to have you know localized Wi-Fi deployments through the lights photo cell uh, so there's just tremendous opportunity that's been sitting here out in the streets for hundreds of years. And now I think we're just about ready to capitalize on it. Oh, my goodness, man. Listen, uh, that might be a business opportunity for somebody out there. If you're interested, let's, let's link up and try to figure this thing <laughs> out, man. <'Cause> I <laughs> but uh, so, so that brought you here to Detroit initially. Yes. Um, and, uh, and so how long were you, did, you, did you kind of focus on that work of, of the real estate side of, of lights? I, I did that for about three years. Okay. Uh, and the company underwent a transition where they became less of a manufacturer and more of a data company. Uh, so that role wound down, and I started thinking about what I was going to do next. Mm -hmm. um, when you look throughout my career, I've always been involved in fields that are um, pretty old, 
and very well known. You know, there was law for a period. Um, there was engineering and lighting specifically. And so with this next role, I was thinking about something that was new and emerging. I wanted to go somewhere where it didn't feel like everything had already been figured out. Mm. Uh, and I was hearing a lot about mobility around the time that the last position wound down. So I started exploring opportunities in, in Southeast Michigan. Turns out this is a mobility hotbed. Yeah. Uh, there was a oh, lot yeah. going on, <laughs> especially with car companies thinking about their next move. So I um, started thinking about what I was going to do. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you started thinking about what you were going to do. And so, you know, with, with, with that being said, your role now with the mayor's office, because you transitioned into that role, um, can you kind of talk about what that role is, what it entails? And, you know, quite honestly, I want to know what are some of the challenges that you're that you're facing in that? Because when you're stepping into, you know, new frontier, so to speak, um, there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do. You, you kind of can uh, uh, through trial and error, you can try different things and, and all of that. But it's sometimes being the first in, um, you also get some of the blowback, blowback from community, from the city. Um, there are policies that might not be in place currently um, that would support, you know, certain decision making that, that you might encounter. Um, but it's necessary for you to, to continue to push forward. So so can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so in the new role, uh, I'll start out by saying the Office of Mobility Innovation is about two years old. Okay. Um, so we're a new department in the city. Um, and like I, s I, mentioned in, I mentioned earlier, we're just an innovation team that's partnering with existing traditional transportation departments around the city to think about ways that they can use assets they, are, they already have and um, ways to support incoming and new mobility. And so those departments, uh, you know, you've got DDOT, the buses, um, got the Department of Public Works, they manage the right-of-way. Um, people don't lump parking in as a mobility, uh, <laughs> as a mobility <laughs> department, as a transportation department. Yeah, when yeah. You think about curb space uh, and the fact that, you know, Ubers and Lyfts are always double parked. You maybe have to think about reallocating curb space in a way that accommodates some of those new modes. Mm -hmm. um, scooters are another issue, right? Uh, they're sort of left everywhere, and I hear that every day. <laughs> so it's a role. it's a huge it's a huge thing. Um, I was going to say issue, but I don't. I, I I think that there are issues with it, but I don't think the the systems itself um, are are an issue. I think that there's you know definitely some uh, concerns from citizens and folks who are operating in certain spaces. But I like it, man. If I can be honest, I I, I, I cruise around on these things quite a bit. Okay. No, that's, that's good to hear. I'm in the same boat. I try to average at least uh, one scooter ride per day. Gotcha. I, and that's, that's primarily because in my role, I'm sort of uh, the city's manager for the, the scooter pilot. So I work with Bird, Lime, Spin, and Boaz. Mm -hmm. um, anytime that there's an issue that a resident has, I'm the person that escalates it directly to them to make sure that it's handled. Uh, beyond that, I'm the person that oversees a lot of the data that's coming in from the scooter companies, um, which is really, I think, the value of the program. Mm -hmm. That's where we can start to have conversations about equity and how the scooters are being distributed. Um, injuries, even, are another item that I'm just starting to investigate, but it's been pretty interesting. Yeah, the so so there are two things that, that you just mentioned that I, I want to kind of take a deeper dive into. I think the first piece would be um, how does the data – or what is the data currently showing as far as from uh, an equity standpoint of, of where the deployment should happen? Because I know with, with a lot of the, the companies and wherever they're, they're locating, um, you know, in that first iteration, I want to say it was like last year when the, when the birds kind of first hit or the limes first hit, and it was downtowns and college campuses. And which I thought was a very, from a business perspective, was a very strategic move because they just kind of, I don't know if this was the case. Maybe you can speak to this too, but it just felt like they just showed up and then it was like, wow, what is this? And then it was like, everybody started just kind of riding them because they were new and exciting. And, and the opportunity uh, to be a part of this new thing, uh, folks wanted to, to be all about that. I mean, I saw people like, you know, probably somehow the energy, the injuries happen was folks taking selfies while they're riding and doing crazy stuff that they're not supposed to do. Sure. And the app tells them not, <laughs> not to do, uh, but that they were doing because it was exciting. It was a part of 
this new uh, this new wave of mobility um, to, to to go. So um, with that, so with that deployment initially being in those locations, now what does the data show um, from an equity standpoint about where they should be distributed? So every morning I get a map or I look at a map that shows where scooters are deployed at that instance. I look at it at around 9 a.m. in the morning. Wow. Uh, not surprisingly, scooters in Detroit are located in downtown and near the college campus. Um, and I, I think that they there's a, a very natural scooter market. Sure. Um, and, and it is individuals who tend to frequent those areas. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned equity. And for us, at least in the department, uh, the Office of Mobility Innovation, that's three items. Um, so we have geographic equity. You know, what kind of coverage are you getting across the city? Um, we have financial equity. And so that's opening up these new modes of, of transportation, new mobility options uh, in a way that, you know, if you need to pay cash, that's an option for you. Uh, if a car is an option, that's something we also need to investigate. Mm -hmm. And then equity in terms of um, access regardless of your level of physical ability. Uh, so whether you have a sensory disability, a cognitive disability, an ambulatory disability, uh, we need to think about ways that we're providing options to you that that can address all those needs. Got you. Yeah, and I, I think the, the, the last one, I'm going to touch on that really quickly, is the, the access piece um, for, for folks with disabilities and, and, and other, um, you know, other, other items. Like, it's, it's a... It's a, 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 a an item where you stand up on it and go f about 15 miles per hour, whether you're on a bird or lime or uh, I haven't ridden a spin yet. Um, but now there's this new option that um, that just kind of recently came on the market. And you and I had a, a brief conversation about this some time ago about the Boaz that I was, you know, originally I was like, wow, this is kind of interesting. I don't know if I would ride that. But looking at it it's like oh this is the, it, it, i could write it if i wanted to but this is more about accessibility for those for for other folks in the community uh, who might not feel comfortable riding a line uh, or have the, the the physically physical ability to ride uh, these other items so you, you know is that something that you're starting to see these these mainstream companies kind of take into account more and or communities kind of take into account more to look for companies that are offering those options absolutely uh, that's you know, expanding the range of accessibility uh, is something that a lot of people are investigating. Boaz is one company, and they're a fascinating story. I'll tell you about that in a, in a minute. But um, beyond Boaz, you've also got to think about Mogo. Mogo, too. They've yeah. got adaptive cycles that they introduced to the market because they recognize that there is a need, uh, you know, for those devices. And we don't we want mobility to – we can't exclude anyone. Absolutely. Uh, everybody needs to be able to get around regardless mm -hmm. of, of, of anything that you have going on personally. Absolutely. And I, I think that's 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 something that is not discussed enough. Um, and so some of the some of the items that you discuss when you talk about equity, I think it touch it touches on uh, it touches on a lot of things that are, are important to uh, some of the folks that I know are, are, are listening. And I know one thing that's that's kind of missing from from this list is always the question, especially being in a, a city like Detroit um, with, with 90 percent of the population, uh, you know, being being black, African-American um, about you know, are we considering the, the needs of folks, uh, you know, racial, like right from a racial equity standpoint? And I know it's kind of a tough question for, for when you're talking about scooters, um, but when you're talking about a city like this, there are those who might not live in those areas um, and they live more in the neighborhoods. Has there, is there a strategy or anything that you've been considering um, where it's pushing these uh, the birds and the limes and the boas and those types of things out to the neighborhoods uh, right now? Yeah, I think the, the easiest way to address that question are just some more data points on scooters. Sure, sure. Um, so in Detroit, our pilot launched in July of 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, since then, we've eclipsed a million rides in the city. Wow. Um, the key metric for measuring a scooter's performance mm -hmm. is the number of trips per vehicle per day. Gotcha. Um, and so three is the magic number. Anytime that you're seeing more than three, three trips per vehicle per day, it indicates that the demand um, is exceeding supply. Mm. Anytime you see below that number, it indicates that you're oversaturated and you need to remove some devices from the streets. Gotcha. Um, so I mentioned earlier, scooters in Detroit are deployed primarily downtown and midtown, mm -hmm. uh, and we're at six rides per vehicle per day. 
Wow. So we're at twice the, the ideal demand, um, yeah. according to scooter companies. Okay. And so if we want to push the devices out in the neighborhoods, uh, this may be an opportunity to start thinking about increasing the cap on the number of scooters that we have. Mm. I think right now, um, scooter companies are limited to effectively you know, 300 vehicles per company in downtown. Okay. Uh, and a lot of instances, those companies are, are coming close to maxing out those numbers. On average, we see about 800 scooters per day. Um, so if we want to see more scooters in neighborhoods, uh, it may be, you know, an opportunity to say to the scooter companies, you know, we'll increase your cap to 500. Uh, but in doing so, you can't have any more than 400 located downtown. And that additional 100 need to be deployed in a neighborhood that is not downtown or midtown. Uh, and then using the technology that we have, we can set up geofences to make sure that they're, they're doing what they say they, they would and actually maintain some metrics on it. Wow, that's that's I think that's a, a really important piece. So the use utilizing um, the data to show where there there is additional opportunity for the companies. Um, but then also you mentioned something that I think is really cool, which is the geofencing, um, which I'm sure a lot of folks are, are familiar with. So if you could kind of just touch on briefly, like what geofencing is um, and, you know, because that's I think that's. I, you know, I think that's something that could work with this, uh, with this, with, with these particular devices um, in neighborhoods. And I also think that I'm starting to see folks riding these, uh, riding birds and limes from downtown to midtown to to neighborhoods. And then, you know, I know there's a, 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 a you know, kind of a a job opportunity for folks as well who are people are coming in and charging the birds and charging the limes uh, and then redeploying them the next day. So I think there there's a, a lot of opportunity that exists out there, but that geofencing piece, can you t touch on that real quick? Absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to nerd out a little bit. It's all good, man. But the, uh, <laughs> the geofence is essentially an invisible barrier um, mm -hmm. that using a scooter's GPS location sort of monitors when it's inside or outside of the geofence. Um, typically, this is used for speed limiting. So right now in the city of Detroit, if you go into any of the apps with bird, lime, or spin, mm -hmm. uh, there's a geofence along the riverfront. We recognize that that was a highly uh, pedestrian traffic area and that it made sense for scooters to drop speeds to five miles an hour. Um, relying on the users to all individually you know, release the throttle and, and go down to five was, it just was never gonna happen, right? And so the scooter companies, when you enter that geofence, kill the motor to five miles an hour, and that's the maximum speed that you can go. Um, we don't always have to drop the motor, though. Gotcha. And we can use these geofences also as just a counting tool to know when a scooter is in a particular region. Oh, man. See, so that's what happened. Listen, I, I've been, we were riding, uh, my wife and I, we ride the birds, we ride the limes, and, and uh, on the riverfront and downtown sometimes in between, you know, meetings and and all that kind of stuff to get from one building to another, especially when we're running behind. Yep. Um, but but on the riverfront, on the weekends, or like, uh, actually it wasn't a weekend, it was like a weekday night, you know, hopped on a bird to try to make it, uh, you know, to another space in downtown, along the riverfront. I'm like, this thing is, it's broken. It's not, like, I know <laughs> this thing goes like 15 miles an hour. Like, right. it's, it's down to five. So now that, that, makes, that makes sense. But it also uh, just goes to show, like, there is really a coordinated effort um, behind how these the, these birds and limes and, and other devices are deployed in a city. I think a lot of folks, when they first hit the market, when they first hit the city, were, were under the impression that this is just the wild, wild west. Nobody knows what's going on with these things. Nobody's having conversations with them. And, and in some cities, like a, a previous community I lived in, East Lansing, uh, Michigan, they actually started just rounding these the, the, the scooters up and storing them other, you know, storing them with the police because they're like, this is just insane. Nobody knows what's going on. And I know some communities that did happen where there was a lack of communication. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to know um, that, that you and your team are intimately involved in this and really thinking about how do these devices interact with people and interact with spaces. Um, so as you, as you have been in this space for, uh, for some time now, what was one of the, the biggest things that kind of jumped out to you that you were just, uh, you know, you might have been unaware of coming into this space because it is new from, from a mobility perspective, um, whether it be, you know, uh, something that's community-related, policy-related, or just, you know, deploying the technology itself. 
Um, what was something that kind of just jumped out to you uh, that you were like, wow, I didn't, ex- I didn't expect that? Yeah, it's uh, really enough, it is the things that are not new mm. that are the most surprising. So I understood car sharing. I was familiar with scooters. Um, the bus has been the most eye-opening experience mm. uh, in the city and the stigma that's surrounding it. Oh, yeah. I, I'd heard that, you know, as the Motor City, we're very car-centric, that uh, there was, you know, a lot of skepticism about the bus. It wasn't until I started riding it that I realized uh, how bad that was. Oh, yeah. And in some cases, um, how wrong people were. There are a lot of misconceptions about the bus. And um, regardless of what happened 10 years ago or even two years ago, the bus is is a pretty cool option to take around these days. Yeah, that's <laughs> – I'm glad that you brought that up. I might. We, I think we mentioned that on a previous episode where we were talking about how there is this perception that if you catch the bus in, in, in Michigan and in a lot of communities in the Midwest, you know, really, is that if you're catching a the bus, then you're, you're poor um, or you just don't have any better option as opposed to it being like your first, your first, first choice of transportation, right? Um, and I think that there is a – especially in a community where the the car insurance rates are just through the roof, um, you would think that there would be a lot more support for a transportation system that works for everyone sure. um, and a regional transportation system that connects everyone within the region. Um, and, and for us to be one of the, the big metros in the United States that just doesn't have a regional transportation option, um, other than now, I mean, with the smart bus system, um, kind of, you know, integrating more with what, what we're doing in Detroit. I think that there's, it, it just surprised me as well. When you go to New York or, or Boston or Atlanta or Chicago and other places, you see folks from every background riding, you know, tra- uh, whether it's the, the train or riding a bus as, a, as like their first option. Like, I don't want to own a vehicle Absolutely. and this is what I'm doing. And so, because that puts more money, keeps more money in your pocket. Not put more money, but keeps more money in your pocket. Yeah, I would say that um, for a lot of individuals, I think the bus is the most fiscally responsible mechanism to get around. Oh, yeah. Um, and so you think about, you mentioned car insurance. Uh, in the state of Michigan, the state of Michigan has the highest car insurance in the U.S., mm-hmm. and Detroit has the highest car insurance in the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, on average, I think it's 6000 a year. Yeah. And the average, the median income is like 30000 a year. Yep. So people are hemorrhaging money to drive around a car um, that immediately depreciates the minute you take it off the lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only going to depreciate more quickly with the quality of our roads, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Fix the damn roads already. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so taking the bus around, um, yeah, it, it should be more people's first mode. And it, it's, an interest, it's interesting the fact that it isn't. Yeah, I think, you know, w- one of the things that I, that I also um, have kind of noticed that, you know, be, being that we're in a motor city, there is this, you know, obviously inherent uh, car culture. But, you know, when we're in the na- when you're in the neighborhoods, I think that oftentimes, um, you know, because of the lack of dependability, you know, that existed for quite some time with the bus system. Um, but then that connected piece of what other modes of transportation can you take? you know, in between where the bus doesn't run. Um, so I always thought that, you know, that coordination level between the bus and MoGo, uh, the bus and Lyft, Uber, um, if that's if that's necessary, um, or even with the, uh, you know, the, the, the scooters, with the scooters now, um, that that could be a potential option for, um, for residents in the neighborhood who, you know, if we're if if we on the housing and revitalization side and those on the planning side are committed to implementing this kind of 20 minute neighborhood where you can get to all the amenities and the things that you need within these within neighborhoods, um, mobility and transportation is going to be a very key component to that um, because it comes back to what you said. Some folks might not be able to afford certain options, and some folks might not have the you know the accessibility that they that they need. Uh, for those particular options, or things just might not be located to them uh, no matter what because of, you know, the, the, the terrain that they have to kind of move through um, to, to get there. So as you as you are coordinating all of these different types of, uh, you know, modes of transportation, is that something that you consider the, the, ac- the accessibility and all the things that you mentioned on the equity side? Um, but coordinating all those things, 
uh, within neighborhoods. Is that something that's kind of on the radar or something that you all are, have been giving some thought to? Yeah, absolutely. So I, once again, this comes back to data. Yeah, I'm yeah, always. That, uh, <laughs> amount. Um, I got you. I think as a city, we're very, very interested in data, and we yeah. recognize the power of it. Mm -hmm. And at the individual department level, we're very good at managing the data that we own. Um, and so within a department, they can tell you all the KPIs and all the metrics that they're using to, to measure success. Mm -hmm. um, from department to department, that data coordination is not as strong as it needs to be. Amen. Uh, to have a really connected city uh, where there are a lot of options that serve residents. So on the transportation side, one of the things that I'm pretty excited to be working on is the development of a transportation data pond. Uh, so here's an instance where we've engaged stakeholders from around the city, all those transportation-focused departments that I mentioned earlier, uh, to come together in a room and start not only um, sharing projects that each other is working on and thinking about opportunities to collaborate, but to begin to discuss what it would take to get all of their data in a central place so that we can start getting insights on the city's transportation landscape and start making meaningful, informed decisions. Um, and beyond that, using that, that information to drive our design. Mm. So if we you know, opt to put a circulator shuttle in a neighborhood that runs residents from you know, their house to the bus, um, why do we do that? Right. What neighborhood do we pick? Is it the best option? Mm. Uh, some neighborhoods, the circulator works, makes the most sense. Uh, in other instances, a series of scooters hmm. near bus stops might make the most sense. Mm -hmm. um, but we need data uh, collectively aggregated in one place to kind of make those decisions. Gotcha. And so, you know, one of the other questions that I have for you is, is m when we're talking um, multimodal transportation, um, we're looking at, you know, the implementation of, of bike lanes in a, in a very massive way in cities all across the country. Yep. Um, and so having that as an option, I think, is, is something that's a good thing. I know folks in communities oftentimes look at that as the first, one of the first signs of, of a gentrifying neighborhood of seeing, like, bike lanes come in here in the city of Detroit and, and other, uh, you know, predominantly black and brown communities. I've, I've had that conversation multiple times. Um, but I look at it as an opportunity for folks to um, be able to, to, to own an affordable mode of transportation, um, but also those types of uh, bike lanes, they, they connect to the bus, you know, and uh, just having multiple options at your fingertips, I think, is, is an amazing thing. So or do you, have you gotten any kind of feedback or had conversations with, with bike clubs or, um, you know, bike producers or anything like that in the city about, you know, some of the things that they're deploying and, and, uh, cause I know Mogo is cool. Like Mogo, I've read Mogo. It's like, sure. it's a great option to have. Um, but you know, this is also an entrepreneurial city. There's a bunch of, uh, you know, bike makers in the city now and, and all of that. What does that look like as you begin to have automated vehicles, bikes, limes, all of these things on the, on the, on different stretches of road, like, man, that coordination is pretty heavy, right? Yeah, if we don't coordinate, it looks like a mess. Oh, man, <laughs> I, could only, I could only imagine. I'm like, just talking about it right now, I'm like, wow, like, yeah, that could really be a wild scene to see all of these modes of transportation on the road. Absolutely. And so we work with um, large private companies on a lot of these transportation options. Mm -hmm. uh, we work with a few smaller companies, too. Gotcha. I, I think that, you know, MoGo relative to Bird is is sort of small sure. um, <laughs> absolutely uh, but, but they're they're a fascinating company and yeah. yes they're cool but they they provide um options they have pretty good coverage today mm -hmm. but as they undergo their expansion especially to the northwest side the coverage oh, yeah. is going to improve even more uh and they offer a five dollar year-round access pass for anybody that's on state benefits oh wow I, now that part i didn't realize that's that's we, we we're going to have to make sure uh we put that information in the show notes as well because if they if they have an option a five dollar option yep. um i think folks need to definitely know about that because i this is the first time i've heard of it but um we'll make sure we put that in the notes for the show absolutely and uh, all the scooter companies offer options for for access to residents that are that are receiving some sort of federal benefits Wow, that's yeah, so that's, that's interesting. So, so with <laughs> that's interesting. That's interesting to know because um, I think that folks 
you know, we, we often think of these new options coming in as not being affordable or not being something that, because if you're paying, you know, 30 cents a minute or how, I can't even remember how much it costs um, per minute and you're riding it for, for some time and you got to make a stop and do all these things, you're really using it as a mode of transportation for you to run errands, for you to, you know, go uh, uh, meet up with friends or do these types of things that just, um, other folks have the benefit of maybe having a vehicle or other modes of transportation that you need to to make sure that it is affordable for people. So sure. I think that's something that is not out there enough. Um, and so we'll do our best to kind of make sure we're promoting that as well. Absolutely. And I'd say the cool thing about mobility is that you now have this opportunity to right size your transportation to your need. Mm. Um, and so if you're going a lot of miles, five, six miles. Yeah. Uh, maybe a scooter isn't the best option. Maybe you want to think about a Mogo mm -hmm. or you want to think about uh, a car share. Yeah. Um, if you're going to pick up groceries, I can tell you that a scooter is absolutely not the best option. <laughs> it uh, is not. It, I've tried it. Exactly. Uh, in that instance, you know, Mogo with a basket or car share is yeah. another option. Maybe the bus even makes more sense. Yeah. Um, so we, I think we've got a, you mentioned multimodal earlier. Mm -hmm. um, helping people understand how to access these different modes and recognize how to transition between them as they need mm -hmm. uh, is ultimately that's where people start to win. I got you. So, so as a part of um, your team, do you do you uh, do any type of, of marketing and or just you know providing information to folks in the community, um, or is that kind of just through the partnerships that each of these respective companies as they kind of promote their uh, their 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 devices um, that they're ultimately responsible for? Um, because one of the other things is like. And you might not be able to answer this question, but because we live in a uh, you know a pretty diverse city uh, where multiple languages are are spoken, um, those different like language options um, and though for those for those folks, um, I, I I'd love to see or hear more about kind of how does that work, you know, say like in, in Southwest Detroit, um, you know, Bangletown uh, neighborhood, like those 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 places where you know that. They're speaking four and five different languages um, because what I've seen is like ultimately a lot of these these devices are it's all English based. Right. And so sure. um, I think those are some of the things that that I as an urban planner, like I question about the equity and just like what's available to people, um, you know, so so with all of those types of things. Do you do do the companies are the companies responsible kind of for, for promoting that information or do you all play a role in getting that information out to to neighborhoods? Sure, uh, that's a multifaceted question. So I will say yeah. that you know, shout out to DDOT. Uh, DDOT. On the 1900 series buses, okay, they have instructions in English, Spanish, and Arabic. Okay, believe, awesome. Which is really really cool. Yeah. Um, in terms of community engagement, mm -hmm. that is something my department does, um, and depending on the pilot that we're looking to launch or, or the program that we're looking to develop mm -hmm. the engagement will change okay um, we recently received uh, some funding to launch autonomous vehicles in the city of Detroit to develop a pilot around that um, Wow and so we don't know exactly what that pilots gonna look like but earlier today we uh, held a mobility community advisory board meeting so oh. we invited some some individuals from around the city mm -hmm. to come in and give us their insight on maybe how autonomous vehicles could be used in their neighborhood. Mm. Um, you know, we, last year, I had some colleagues who uh, were developing a microtransit pilot. Essentially, we'd identified that individuals working at the airport didn't have access to a bus line. And so we thought, well, if you're working in that area, um, what is the transportation mode that, that employer employees would take to get to, get to the bus? Uh, it was determined that a shuttle would be the most effective means. And so now we're going through the procurement process to, uh, to bring on a partner to provide a shuttle for those employers to get their employees to and from work. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. I think that the, you know, having the data that supports things and also being able to go out and, and engage community around what their needs are actually um, is a big deal because oftentimes um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, this is what we think you should have. Um, so I <laughs> go, go ahead. No, I will say that, uh, with that microtransit pilot, yeah. that was the design of the pilot was actually informed by 200 interviews mm. conducted with employees on site. Wow. Um, so that, I mean, that's a level of engagement that, um, yeah. you know, doesn't happen that often. And these were, you know, 
my colleagues, I gotta give them credit. Yeah, they yeah, drove yeah. out to the airport and they put up put up a table and, and they invited people to come over and talk to them and they said, If you had these options, you know, how would this make you feel? If you had these options, how would this make you feel? Mm. And through that, you know, sort of reductive process they arrived at this the shuttle solution. About what the best the, what the best solution is. And 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 that that warms my planner heart. <laughs> We're not deciding. <laughs> <here. laughs> right, it warms my planner heart that, that that those types of things are taking place because, again, you know, just as I said a minute ago, it's like sometimes you know these these new solutions and, and innovation comes at the expense of uh, a lack of engagement in community because they're like, oh, we just got to put these things out and we just got to you know deploy this and do these things. And so it's great to hear that there is actually um, you know a very thoughtful process behind. Uh, the deployment of, of certain resources uh, when it comes to transportation because it's definitely needed in community. Um, so now for you, you mentioned that you ride the bus, but if if uh, you had all the money in the world, what would be your, your favorite mode of transportation? Like if you just every day, like, you know, just getting around, would it just still be the bus or would it just be like, do you have a, a vehicle that you would use or is there some platinum level bird that has yet to hit the <laughs> yet to hit the streets that you would be like i'm gonna i'm gonna ride that everywhere honestly i kind of like the bus i got you okay um, i find it weirdly therapeutic and kind of calming yeah um so ddot you know they underwent this uh, this huge upgrade mm -hmm. um, about a year ago where they started putting wi-fi on buses um so now when i get on a ddot bus i can download a podcast and sort of zone out the Streets um, of Planning podcast, by the way. Exactly. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But uh, I noticed that yeah. my mood when I come into work, yeah. um, I'm so much more relaxed when I get to the office, yeah. as opposed to when I've been battling traffic, you know, getting on 75 and trying to find a parking space. For sure. Uh, I have the luxury of working at KMAC. The bus pretty much drops me off at my door. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it uh, does. So. It does. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think for, for, for me, actually, um, you know, I live, you know, relatively close to downtown, so I'm able to to, to walk to work some days if sure. I wanted to take the bird. Uh, but for the most part, we ride the people mover, which is uh, not a super exciting option, but definitely an option where you know you, you can get on, sit there, you can read a book, you can listen to a podcast, you can do whatever you you, you feel like doing because you're in control of of your space, right? Yes. And and that's a very important thing because I've I've commuted. Uh, an hour to two hours for a job before and uh, when I got there it was like you know some days it was a good day some days it wasn't because of of battling that that traffic and so now um, when it comes to the regional transportation uh, systems you know our, uh, I know we, we had an initiative here um, you know a little while back I want to say it was about a year ago to um, that you know, different communities, you know, didn't support sure. um, the regional transit uh, authority, the establishment of that. But I see that there's like some momentum kind of gaining, uh, you know, ground on that conversation, which I'm really excited to hear um, as it, as this mobility and, and smart mobility in particular uh, conversation comes up. Has there been any conversation that you could kind of talk about? I mean, not specifically, but um, uh that uh, around smart mobility from a from a regional perspective, uh, as opposed to just just within the city of Detroit. So, uh, yeah, RTA failed, and hopefully it's back on the ballot. I hope uh, so, man. I hope in so. In twenty twenty two, in terms of smart mobility, you know whether you're in the suburbs or anywhere in the region, there's in all likelihood um, some sort of bus system that can serve you. Yeah. Uh, in the past, the issue has been all those bus systems required you to pay for the ride. Mm. Um, and so if I took a fast bus from the suburbs out to the edge of Detroit, and I, I'd have to get off you know, at the edge of Detroit and then pay another fare to get on a DDOT bus to get wherever I wanted to go within the city. Um, recently, we you know, unified the fare payment mechanism between fast, smart, DDOT, and the queue line. Wow. So you can purchase a single pass to get on any one of those modes. Um, and while it isn't true regional transit, it's certainly removed a lot of the barriers associated with getting um, around within the suburbs and the city and mixing modes between the two. Yeah. 
For sure, and I think it, it's a it's a really big step in the right direction towards that kind of regional transit system, um, because as you said, it's when you're talking about folks who have a limited amount of funds, you know, if you if you're you're struggling to get to your job that doesn't pay you a living wage, and then you have to struggle to get home, you know, in the evening. Um, I remember the story of the gentleman that was that walked like you know, uh, I want to say it was maybe like ten miles that. or something like that, and he was walking there and back every day and and while it was a heartwarming story that somebody eventually gave him a ride and somebody eventually gave him a vehicle um it was still one of those situations where it's like there are so many other detroiters and and folks across the country who you know who don't have you know the the goodwill of somebody to say hey let me stop and give you a ride or here's a car um and so you want to make sure that you're providing all of these opportunities and I think that that was definitely a step in the right direction where folks can transfer between these different modes uh, with, with ease and, um, you know, and, and be able to get to their job, be able to get to their church, wherever it is that they need to be um, in a very, you know, efficient fashion. So the, 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 big, the big part of, like, the bus system before um, was it didn't run on time. Folks didn't know when it was coming or if they missed it or whatever. Um, can you talk about some of the, the technology piece that, that's been introduced to allow for folks to kind of track buses and, you know, be able to understand what the de their dependability is and how they can use uh, buses and other modes as an option? Sure. So there was that, uh, I think it was a 55% decrease mm. in service hours with DDOT from 2008 to 2016. Uh, and then right around that time, DDOT restored... 24-hour, seven-day-a-week routes mm. on t uh, 10 high-frequency routes. Mm -hmm. um, so there now, if you look at the Connect 10 map, there are these 10 bus lines that get you pretty good coverage around the city. Uh, and during peak hours, those bus lines are coming, you know, every 10 minutes. Wow. Okay. Um, so that's you know the first step. It wasn't necessarily using technology, but just getting the service levels back to uh, to a level that Detroiters would feel comfortable using. And that would address needs of individuals who didn't just work, you know, nine to five, but maybe you're going to work from midnight to eight. Oh yeah. Um, so that that's you know step one, and then uh, DDOT is undergoing a massive technology upgrade mm -hmm. that'll provide um, information on individual buses um, to individuals within the city. I am not you know versed enough in that upgrade to to comment too deeply on it. Sure. But that's something to watch out for. I believe that that's gonna. I'm certain that that'll launch in 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, but the scale and the exact timing is still unknown to me. Yeah, that's that's. I, I do really like just kind of bringing it back to. Uh, I do I do uh, think taking it back to the the scooters and things, um, being able to look at the, the app and see like where the nearest scooter is has come in handy tremendously. Yes. Um, so so having that type of option for understanding where the bus is, uh, uh, you know, with with on a route is like. I, you know that that type of technology is is definitely appreciated and, and being used in other communities, um, and also even the People Mover now has has an app where you can kind of track uh, the train, what time it's supposed to come, and all of those types of things. So I think as as folks begin to live and depend more on that smartphone for a lot of different things, having that ac that accessibility, um, you know, there is is very meaningful. And I think our ultimate goal. Is for you to never have to switch apps, right? Mm, yeah. So if you get all that data in one spot, you know why can't you look at a bus line and know that at the end of your trip, if you walk 200 feet to the left, mm -hmm. there's 25 scooters for you to take to your next destination. Yeah. Or yeah. there's a, an Uber and Lyft pickup and drop off zone, and so you can call a Lyft from your bus and have it meet you at the at the endpoint. Wow. Um, I mean that's like that's that's high level be coordination. Off from one app. Um, and that comes down to getting the data in one spot. Gotcha. So, so as we um, move forward um, in the city of Detroit in this conversation about smart mobility, what are some of the things that locally and maybe nationally that, you're, that you've been tapped into, or maybe even internationally, that folks should be looking for when it comes to smart mobility and uh, what it actually can do for, for urban communities across the country? Absolutely. I think that um, autonomous vehicles are coming. Mm -hmm. We recognize that they offer a tremendous benefit to a number of individuals um, within the population. So thinking about ways to leverage those, those vehicles um, that are not typical, 
Um, so right now we've got you know an autonomous circulator that's downtown and it moves um, employees from one building to the next. But what are the opportunities for individuals who, for senior citizens, mm -hmm. individuals with disabilities? Um, autonomous vehicles offer tremendous opportunities for them. And so I think you're gonna start to see cities really exploring and pushing the limits of what those vehicles could do. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, there is, <laughs> there's the, uh, this is now, this is something that's just kind of from left field, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Um, there was conversation um, from, from Tesla, I wanna say maybe like last year, where um, they were talking about introducing this kind of speed tunnels or something like that that were like go from one place vacuum to yeah like the vacuum that, tunnels yeah. or something like that do you have any inside intel on that kind of stuff man <laughs> i don't yeah i don't even know if the physics I just, were, <laughs> if the human body could withstand it there's a lot that's going like, to that now i would love to go from detroit to la in an hour <laughs> Yeah. Whether it's possible or not, <laughs> like you said, like the physics of that, I might show up and be like a pool of applesauce on the other side. <laughs> but, but man, I was just, you know, I know I was just kind of off topic, but I just That's had pushing to, rocket I speeds, right? Like what kind of it speed is? Do you need? It's like, yeah, what what do you need to make something like that happen? Because yeah. I just thought, like, man, it, while the idea was like. Uh, was like it sounds really cool and you know if you watch a lot of sci-fi shows it's like you know like i did growing up it's like yeah it's you know that would be really cool to be able to do that yeah um but uh, but yeah that technology is way 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 out there it's probably 3005 kind of technology and all that it, stuff to that point like the private sector comes up with a lot of cool stuff yeah um knowing Fly, when to flying filter. vehicles exactly yeah. knowing when to filter that out and it's something that's meaningful for residents mm -hmm. Uh, is important and then you know once we do identify those private sector solutions that that are going to make sense um, what's the pathway to sustainability yeah so that in the event that private sector decides you know what we don't want the service anymore it doesn't produce enough mm -hmm. uh, the city isn't necessarily in a lurch right uh, residents have come to depend on this service and now it's no longer there mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing I'm always thinking about is that eye on you know if this went away tomorrow how do we still provide the same service level to, to people that have come to depend on it? Yeah, I, I think folks thought, um, and I'm folks, uh, but sure. folks, but folks thought um, I'm included in that 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 there was, you know, with the birds and the limes and and all of that stuff, like they would get one good year, two good years of 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 use um, because you know it was just it was new, it was interesting, it was fun. Um, but now that seeing it, you know, redeployed for a second year um, here in the, here in the city of Detroit and across the country, I'm starting to think like they they could very well be not like the most used um, tool in in transportation. However, it it is a tool in the toolbox that could be in communities for years to come if if they're maintained well. And the customer service speaks to that, and the, and the price point speaks to that. And they could be around for a while. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that, uh, you know, these are modes of transportation that could be here to stay in, in, in urban communities for some time? Um, or, eh, maybe got a year left. <laughs> yeah, I, so um, regardless of what's here in the current landscape, sure. I think that what we saw with scooters is indicative of a trend that is gonna continue to happen. Uh, and so even if the scooter companies all go away, you know, next year, there's gonna be a hoverboard. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. And after, after that, there's gonna be a personal drone. Um, yeah, oh And man. so you're always gonna find people that are pushing that mobility envelope. For sure. Uh, and knowing how to manage them as they come in uh, and sort of developing mechanisms to sort of say, hey, like, we absolutely welcome you. Mm -hmm. By all means, come to the city. This is what we expect. Yes, I, I I appreciate that insight. I, th I think you mentioned we mentioned a company earlier, and I wanted to kind of give you an opportunity to kind of speak more to it, uh, which was Boaz. Sure. Um, and so Boaz, I think from from our, from a previous discussion you and I had, I thought it was a very interesting kind of story. So could you just kind of touch on that really quickly? Sure. Um, so Boaz contacted the city earlier this year about joining the the scooter pilot. Um, it is a startup scooter company out of Plano, Texas, that is minority owned. Uh, and as I found out today, the initial funding for the company was out of this guy's own pocket. Wow. Um, so he, you know, raised, well he didn't raise funds, he, you know, pitched in funds to get this idea off the ground. 
um, because he saw a gap in the scooter market related to safety. Um, he got some vehicles out in Plano, and then he went through a crowdfunding uh, phase to raise a second round of funds. Um, whereas, and I think the key to that was um, in exchange for whatever you contributed, you would get a partial owner sta ownership stake in the company. Wow. Um, so he's been doing this for a little while. Uh, and last week he actually launched in Atlanta. Oh, man. Which is an incredibly competitive uh, scooter market, but he's throwing his hat in the ring. That's awesome. Going after it. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to see those vehicles around more. And just to kind of describe it to, 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 to folks who are listening, um, it is a, a sit-down, um, you know, scooter type of a vehicle. And, and I believe on some of them I've seen, like, they have, like, a small basket on the back, it, um, yep. which, which is a nice added feature for folks um, who, who uh, some of us who might have tried to uh, shop a little bit on a bird and it just didn't work out. Bags on handlebars. <laughs> Bags yeah. on handlebars. It just does not work out. Um, but for something like that, I think it was a very interesting concept to add because it was serving a, a, a need you know in the mobility market and it was definitely innovative for him to be able to to one invest in himself um in his business and then also to take it to investors uh which clearly supported him and out to hear that he's in atlanta that they're going to atlanta yeah. is an amazing thing and you know it just kind of goes to show that for those folks who are listening if these ideas that we talk about or you, you know you come up in uh, having conversations with friends around different types of things is that the the opportunity to enter into this space, um, especially for for folks of color to interview to, to enter into this space and be able to contribute in a very meaningful way and provide solutions for for neighborhoods and cities across the world is 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 an amazing thing. So so I would just encourage you all like you know there isn't an idea too crazy, right? I mean it's something that. If you have the right team, you have the right supports, you can make those types of things happen. Yep. So, so Justin, is, it, is there a, uh, a mobility company that, that, uh, that you might be working on on the side over here, man, you want to talk about and introduce right now? Okay, we'll, t we'll, we'll come back. Right. We'll come back. No side hustles like <laughs> to announce, right? <laughs> no side hustles to announce, man. But, you know, I'm look, I would love to, uh, you know, if you're involved in it, man, I would love to support uh, something like that. Man. But uh, I thought I'd just, you know. Toss it out there. It might be somebody looking to want to invest in you, man. Sure, so, sure. Uh, but anyway, man, I, I just um, I think that this was a very timely discussion, um, you know, and a very, you know, informative discussion for, for me personally. And I'm sure for a lot of our listeners who, you know, who are working in these spaces, planning and designing cities and communities across the country and across the world who need to better understand you know the the from the vantage point of somebody who's actually operating in this space from from smart mobility space um and the potential for it and uh, some of the challenges that that you've seen so w now you know i'm going to give you an opportunity is there any uh anything else that you'd like to mention about you know the work that you're doing um and uh you know do you have any comments to those folks who might be looking to get enter into this space like words of advice of how they should go about it and what are some of the things that they should be aware of? Sure. Uh, so, you know, aggressively keep your eyes open because this space is emerging. I think the market is getting bigger every day. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of opportunities out there. And the thing that I like about the mobility industry is that um, because it is so new, there isn't necessarily a particular skill set that's going to get you in the door. Mm. Uh, if you want to be an engineer, you sort of need an engineering degree. For sure. If you want to be in mobility, all you need is, you know, a willingness to work, uh, you know, you got to get kind of creative um, and think outside the box. But there, there are opportunities there for people that, um, you know, are, are coming from untraditional fields sure. and just want to contribute whatever they have to an emerging industry. Wow, that's awesome. So I just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you for coming fun. on to the show. And, uh, you know, I just want to say, uh, you know, this conversation for us, uh, today, you know, it began with a Facebook post. <laughs> just defending myself. Just a, just a Facebook post <laughs> saying, you know, hey, I'd love to come on and talk about and, and you know, better inform, you know, the discussion on, on smart mobility because we all come into, you know, we see something happen, we have a reaction, we have an opinion about things. And so for, for me, I like to make sure that those folks who, uh, who are operating in this space have the opportunity to, to come on 
talk about what it is that they're that they're doing, what are some of the challenges that they see, and make sure that they're providing you know best practices and solutions um, to to those of you who are listening. So. I just want to say thank you all for tuning in to this episode. Thank you, Justin, again, for being on the show. And uh, for everybody out there, just remember, anytime, anywhere, any place, the streets are planning.